morning, afternoon, or night, whenever you decide to roll out of bed, we're your hosts, Kristen Hoyles and Sarah Yako. And welcome to our podcast, Waking Up with Millennials. This week, Sarah sits down with Ben Tapper. Ben is an associate for resource consulting at the Center for Congregations in Indianapolis, Indiana. He is also the co-founder of the Kindred Collective, and he's the host of the Invisible Truths podcast and What Would It Take podcast. So Sarah, from your interview with Ben, what element of it would our listeners be most intrigued by? The whole conversation with Ben was incredibly illuminating. Ben's story and his journey is quite unique. It's definitely not an experience that I would say the average person has. And through his experiences, he's truly gained some lifelong insight at the ripe old age of 32. What I think is so interesting about Ben's story is that his his journey is so unique and so different from ours. And hearing his story makes us put our struggle in perspective. My name is Ben Tapper, 32 years old, living in Indiana, specifically Indianapolis. I would call this chapter of my life renewal because it has to do a lot with recreating systems, the ways in which I move through the world, patterns, and there's a process of discovery that's happening too. I work for a religious nonprofit called the Center for Congregations. We're funded by the Lilly Endowment, and we provide grant funds and educational opportunities to other religious organizations, mostly churches, but other organizations as well. And then I have a bunch of side projects that I do. So I do, um, I co-founded an organization called the Kindred Collective with some friends of mine, and we do racial equity consulting and healing dialogue programs. And then I've got a couple of podcasts that are out there as well. And what are the names of your podcasts? So our listeners can go and check those out. Very good. Uh, Invisible Truths is the first podcast. And that's a podcast that's really just a compilation of stories. I do a lot of storytelling there, my own story, but I also facilitate storytelling in the interviews I do each week with different guests. And then the second podcast, which will launch January 1st, 2021, is called What Would It Take? Right. Uh, But that competing podcast is called What Would It Take? And that's a podcast I'm doing in collaboration with Anabaptist World, where I'll be evaluating different problems we have in our society, like infant mortality and police brutality, and asking what it would take for us to create a world in which those are no longer problems. And I'll evaluate each issue through a political and a faith-based lens, and then give the listeners some practical steps they can take each week to help them create the world that we want to live in. That sounds pretty amazing. I'm super um, excited. Can you? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's going to be some editing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not going to make the final cut. The first week's topic is on police brutality. And I chose that to start with because I was already doing a deep dive into that work. I, you know, for those that don't know, somehow, some way, I am a Mennonite, which. What? I know, right? What? (laughs) Since when? How? Where? Why? All the questions are appropriate here. Uh, There are very few black Mennonites, (laughs) and I'm one of those few. And so I work, I I do different projects with Mennonite Church USA, which is a denomination of the Mennonite Church here in the United States, mostly. Anyway, I brought that up because I'm working with five five or six other people to do an adult Sunday school curriculum on abolishing the police. 
And so I was like already steeped into this work and this research for that curriculum. And so I just took a lot of that, brought it to the podcast. Did you imagine yourself being in the current position that you're in when you were younger? No. Uh, and, and, you know, depending upon how far back you go, I had very different, yet very specific ideas of where I would end up in my 30s. If we go back to elementary school, I was dead set on being a zoologist. <laughs> loved learning about animals, loved learning about big cats. I had like a whole VHS collection. Remember VHS? Oh, yeah, I do. But also, so big cats, how are you feeling about Tiger King? Tiger King. You know, True confessions here. I still have not watched it all the way through. And I am not going to watch it all the way through. I, I feel no no reason to do that. I have seen maybe an hour and a half of it total. And I think that's really all anyone needs to see. I will I will say I have seen two of um, Joe Exotic's music videos, though. I feel okay. like that's really all, all you need to see. Just start watch the music videos and you're good on Tiger King. I agree. Um, to, be, to be honest, I agree. <laughs> right. You, I saw you've done Tiger. it right. <laughs> Instant classic. <laughs> Let's not talk about Tiger King anymore, though. <laughs> but you had an interest in being a zoologist. Right. Tiger interest. Yes, what what I, happened next? So I loved, loved big cats. And then by the time fifth grade hit, I realized that, you know, I just, I don't fuck with animals like that. Like, they're cool, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to go out in the wild all the time. That's just not me. Uh, so then, like, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then I thought, okay, you know, I was, I mean, you, you know, you knew me growing up. I was very like into church, very, very religious, Jesus freak, whole nine yards. And so I think eighth grade is when I felt like I, I was called to be a missionary. And so like that was the vision of my life that I had from eighth grade, probably until about senior year of high school, freshman year of college. There was a, a, a few weeks junior year of high school where I thought I could be like a, a doctor, like a missionary doctor. And then I remembered that I don't like science. And I figured that was probably not the right course of action for me. So I had to recalibrate again. And then once I got into college, I started studying political science. And I thought, okay, I'll be like a U.S. senator or I will go work for the U.N., be a U.N. ambassador somewhere. And then that just didn't pan out. So, I mean, there were very specific dreams I had from 9 to 25, none of which had me living here doing the work that I'm doing now. Has there been a moment in your journey so far that you can identify as a major turning point for you? Absolutely. Um, so I'll take us to 2015. I believe I was halfway or two thirds of the way through my first master's degree program. And I was working for a network of charter schools here in Indianapolis. I actually, I was, I just finished a trip out to Portland. I was there for a conference and I was on my way back when I got a call from the administrative assistant of my supervisor. She said that the director of the school wanted to have a meeting with me the following Monday. I thought it was kind of weird that he wanted to meet with me and not the other coworker that was involved in the missions, but whatever. So get to the office on Monday morning, have this meeting with him. And basically he tells me that I have pissed someone off higher up in the organization. And he's seen this play out before. And by his estimation, I was going to be forced out. And so I'm asking all kinds of questions, trying to figure out what I did. Why are they mad? Like, this doesn't, this makes no sense to me. I have not, like, I've never been written up before. I've not had any poor performance reviews. And this so all of a no sudden, sense to me either. <laughs> right, like you just no call idea. me into your office and tell me I'm about to be forced out for what, for why? And it never made sense. I never got a clear explanation. And I ended up feeling grateful on one hand that my uh, director was giving me a heads up. Um, you know, I asked him how much time I had. He said, you know, in a little while, we'll probably have to put you on a performance review plan. Once that happens, you'll have about 90 days. 
Like, okay, cool. So I started looking. Um, but I was, I was incredibly hurt, like incredibly hurt, incredibly frustrated, um, and felt like I'd been discarded. You know, I was in a field I didn't want to be in anyway, living in a place I didn't want to live in anyway, doing a job, frankly, I wasn't really that fond of, and I was getting forced out of it. I mean, that shit is embarrassing. And so I, that started like a, a moment of soul searching for me that was very deep and very intense. Fortunately, as that happened, I began hearing stories of others that had gone through something similar early in their career and they just had never told anyone about it, never talked about it. And um, it and wasn't so I, with the same group? It, no, were different, like different different companies. Yeah, different okay. companies, different situations. Apparently, it's not that uncommon of a thing for people to go through, though, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so so that that helped me feel like I wasn't as alone, but I still felt really angry. And so I kind of took a step, asked myself what I really wanted to be doing. And I remembered what I wanted to do out of college, which was to work in international relations and get a job at the UN. So I figured, well, all right, if this shit ain't working out, then I'm going to make that dream happen. I might not have another chance. I'm in this master's program that is a really good program. I'm going to make this work. So I began kind of making moves, took a networking trip out to DC, reconnected with some folks, had someone looking over resumes for me, was applying to jobs, doing this whole thing. My plan was to move out to DC for like three to six months, work some jobs, save some money, and then move Brooke out with me. Now, while this was going on, Brooke and I were... And Brooke, Brooke was your wife. Yes, yes. Brooke was my wife at the time. While this was going on, Brooke and I were, we were volunteering at First Mennonite Church in Indianapolis, doing a lot of work with the high school age teenagers. And I think I took them to a, a snow camp trip up in North or Southern Michigan. And I shared with a couple of them, you know, my plans to move out to DC. And they were really disappointed, really upset. And they said that Brooke and I were kind of the reasons that they had continued to come to youth group in the first place. So they didn't want to see us leave. And that, that like hit me to my core. But at the time, I thought, you know, there's always going to be someone that doesn't want you to leave wherever you're at. Like, that can't be the reason that I I don't make this move. So I continued kind of doing searching, continued trying to line stuff up. And then we had a, a church service one Sunday morning. And this is a church service that literally everyone hated. It was the type of service no one liked because there was no there was no sermon. It was basically an open forum. The pastors would ask like two questions and congregants were expected to come up to the microphone and just answer and respond to their questions. No one liked that shit. And so like I'm, I'm sitting in this service, not saying anything. People are coming up to the microphones, talking and responding to the question, which was, what does salvation mean to you? So I'm sitting there listening, not really sure if I should go to the mic or not. And at some point, Brooke looks at me and she says, I'm surprised you haven't said anything yet. And I took that as a nudge that I should probably get up and say something. People, people uh, with close friends or spouses know that sometimes the spirit speaks through those closest to you. And so I took that as a nudge. I should get up and speak. And so I got up, talked about what salvation meant for me, about how it's not this spiritual concept that deals with the afterlife. But when I think about salvation, I think about being homeless as a kid. I think about surviving child abuse. And I think about the fact that most children that start where I started don't survive long enough to get where I've gotten. And so when I think about being saved, I think about literally physically having my life given back to me when when it shouldn't have. And I did nothing to deserve that. Like it just happened to me. So it, it moved the people in the congregation. And after the service, one of them stood up and said, hey, we have a part-time position opening up. You should think about applying to it. Now, it was not my dream, never has been my dream, still isn't my dream to work at a, a church. That's just not really... I can't say it never has been my dream. At some point it was, but at that point in my life, it definitely wasn't. But I had reflected enough about myself and about what I wanted in my career to realize that if I could find a job that let me do public speaking, 
build relationships and do some teaching, then I could probably be just as satisfied as if I were doing international affairs. So I thought about it, talked to my pastor about it, and just did some like deep soul searching. And in that moment, I decided to pivot. And the pivot was that instead of logically trying to plan out my career, I was just going to let go and do whatever the fuck my gut said to do. And my gut was telling me that I needed to try to get this job. And so I talked to my pastor about it. She was really excited. And then she asked me what I thought about seminary. And I was like, I don't, I don't have any thoughts about seminary. I've never considered going to seminary in my life. I'm just finishing up one degree. I'm not going to get another one. I'm not paying for another one. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, but I mean, you could probably get a scholarship for it and have the costs covered. So again, I went back to the drawing board, thought about it. And it was another step that made zero logical sense, like literally no logical sense for me to do this, no financial sense for me to do this. But something deep within me said that this was the right move for me at the time. And so that was the pivot. I I took this job at the church part time. I applied and got accepted to seminary as a full time student. And that is that launched me on the trajectory that I'm on now. I couldn't have seen it coming, but it was being forced out and then having to reorient myself between like trying to think through my life versus just trusting my gut and making the decision that felt right, even if it didn't make sense. And, And that has made the difference. Yeah. It's interesting because you really did sort of get pulled back around into a direction that was more in line with where you were originally thinking to go. So it's almost as if your intuition had been guiding you the whole time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you were sort of starting to veer off and then and then something was pulling you back. I don't want you to go to this place if it's too, too vulnerable of a place to go. Mm-hmm. But you had just briefly touched on some younger abuses and homelessness in childhood. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what your journey has really been like from the, those early stages, those early days to the point where you are now and just the growth of yourself as a person over that course of time and how Mm -hmm. that might have influenced your career choices and your career successes. Yeah. You know, I think when I think about my journey, I think about discovering myself again. I think about finding the pieces that have been fragmented and frayed. When when you experience, when anyone experiences trauma, I think there can be a fragmentation of yourself that takes place. Pieces of yourself that you kind of cordon off, that you section off, that you step away from because they are not useful to help you survive the trauma that you're experiencing. And as a kid, like the same thing happened to me. And so there are all these parts of myself that I would silo off or tuck away or hide or suppress because I just needed to survive. Like that was my one goal. Keep myself safe. Do what I could to keep my siblings safe and figure out how we were going to get to the next moment. And that, that that's a lot of, of weight to carry, a lot of weight to bear. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I mentioned earlier, we were lucky enough, blessed enough to be taken out of that harmful situation and to be given a shot at at normal development, normal life. But that hasn't meant that once we were removed from the the abuse or removed from the neglect that that everything was okay. You know, it definitely hasn't been. And I've been on a healing journey. My siblings, we've all been on healing journeys for the last, you see, December 23rd, 1997 was the day that I mark that my life was saved. So what we're coming up on, let's do math, 20, almost 24 years, you know, of, of life since then. What was special about that day? 
December 23rd, 1997. That was the day that we were moved from a foster home that we'd stayed in for like a week in South Bend, Indiana. Four of us were put in the foster home. We were all put into homes that would eventually adopt us. And that was what what was special about it. We kind of found our permanent homes, even if we didn't know it at the time. So we were moved from a a situation that was chaotic and felt hopeless to to be put in the homes of the people that would love us for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so for the last 24 years, you know, I've been healing. I've been reflecting, figuring out what I actually lost. And I didn't know, I didn't know I had lost pieces of myself until I got to college, to be honest. It wasn't until I was sitting in my counselor's chair. So a very specific memory that I have, I was talking to my counselor about a relationship I was in at the time. And my counselor stopped me as I was telling a story and asked me what I was, what I felt in the moment. And I was like, I don't, what? What do you mean? What did I feel? I don't know. But I just told you exactly what I was thinking as this situation unfolded. Why do you need to know what I was feeling? <laughs> and and like it was it was that moment that I realized not only could I not tell my counselor what I felt about this situation that unfolded. Yeah, girl, I had no idea what I felt like. I couldn't name a single feeling from that moment. It was an absurd realization. I'm a well, I was probably 22 at the time, 22 year old man who can't name a single feeling. Uh, that's not good. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so like that, that awoke me to the fact that, okay, there are pieces of myself that I'm just not aware of. And for the last decade, I have, you know, been in and out of counseling, doing like my own work, just trying to understand what those pieces are. Why did I shut off my emotions? When did I shut them off? How do I gain access to them again? How has my trauma affected the way I look at my career, the way I look at my purpose? How has it affected the way I act in my relationships? Just what are all the ways that my trauma shapes my life and and all the ways that it has shaped me? And so it, there's been a, a long process of uncovering, of rediscovering. Um, and I think, you know, hearkening back to the story I told about the pivot in my vocational identity, that pivot was really about me turning inward to reconnect with parts of myself. You know, so mm-hmm. as, as I sit here talking to you today at 32, I... I'm a much more whole person than I was at 31 or 21 or 11. And yet I know there's still so much work that I've got to do to be the person that I really want to be. But to answer your question, the last 24 years has been a lot of like trying to find my way, trying to piece parts of myself together and and just trying to heal so that I can be the best person I want to be and live the life, not only that I want to live, but the life that that I think I need to live. I've had a an obsession, if you will, at at trying to make the most of this life. Again, because I know that most people that start where I started don't get here. Mm. And I was lucky enough to get here. And so I don't want to waste it. I don't don't want to to ruin it. I I want to do everything I can to make the most of this opportunity, this second chance. And and that has been like a driving force in almost every major decision that I think I've made. Mm -hmm. So if I can go back a little bit. So 1997, that was a significant year and a significant moment for you ending up with your permanent family. And it sounds like you really have gone on this really incredible, really difficult self-reflecting journey of uncovering who you are and what past experiences, how past experiences have influenced the person you are today. So I'm wondering during your journey, during this long process, have you felt supported during that process? At times I have. 
And and I'll be honest, the times where I haven't felt supported, usually it's not because the support wasn't there, but it's because it it took me a while and still takes me a while to see and accept support when it's available. You know, I, I think back to my sophomore or junior year of high school and I I did not want to tell people when I was in a bad mood. I didn't want to tell people when I was having a bad day. I didn't want to confide in people about what was happening in my life because I didn't trust people because I didn't want to be a burden because I thought and honestly still think sometimes that I have to go it alone. Like I, I have this this illusion that I have to bear the weight of the world on my shoulders and my shoulders alone. And so the moments where I haven't felt supported, I think usually it's because I haven't been able to see and receive the support that's there. I've been very blessed in my life in that I've been surrounded almost consistently by at least a few people that love me dearly, regardless of how I show up, regardless of when I fuck up, regardless of if I do what they think I should or not, like they love me. And that's been pretty consistent. And I know not everyone is is blessed to have people like that in their life all the time, but I have been and I'm thankful for it. And so when I'm able to see it, when I'm able to receive that support, it has been wonderful, you know, and it's it's come in both large and small ways. It's come in the form of friends who will just sit with me in the middle of the night after going through a, a breakup and just like listen and listen to sappy songs with me and just commiserate about how much it sucks. It's come in the form of mentors who have seen potential in me and called me out of my bullshit and demanded the best of me because they knew it was within and they knew I just needed someone to push me and challenge me. It's come in the form of uh, other leaders like pastors or teachers that have pulled me off to the side and said, hey, you are going to do great things. We just want you to know that we see that and we know it. It's come in the form of, of parents that have loved me, that have just listened to me. It, it's it's come in a myriad of, of different forms and a myriad of different ways. And I, I'm eternally uh, grateful for that. And a lesson that I think I'm learning now outside of seeking out and trusting that support is, is recognizing when I've got all the support that I need within me. You know, a lot of times we think we have to rely on other people to to take care of us. And and there's an important truth and wisdom in doing that. We are humans are social animals. We are not designed to exist on islands. We need other people desperately. And I think it's true that that we have all that we need within us in any given moment as well. And so there there are lonely nights, you know, that I face uh, moments where I just feel really isolated. And I've got to remind myself in those moments, A, that just because I don't feel supported in that specific moment doesn't mean I'm not supported. And B, I've got all the tools I need to to deal with this painful time, to deal with this painful moment, to kind of like hold myself through it until I can reconnect with my support systems. And that is true too. I really appreciate that you have identified all of these different types of support. I think in a few interviews uh, and conversations that I've had in the past, a lot of people really take that question and associate it with family and family alone. Mm. And I think it's really important that you have identified that support doesn't just come from family and support doesn't even just come from people who are permanent in your life or semi-permanent in your life. It comes from various directions, from various people seeing something in you and wanting to bring that out of you. And it's really wonderful that you've acknowledged that along your journey. But I'm wondering if you would feel that way, like if you would feel like you had that strength within you, if you were not able to identify those external sources of support. No, 
No, I have absolutely needed those people to to remind me of that. And honestly, I've needed those people because it's only been a year and a half, two years that I could name that I have what I need within me. Like that's a very recent naming for me. And so so I've needed the people that have supported me every moment before then to like get me strong enough to stand on my own to actually see that that was within me. It's kind of like, you know, having a a wounded animal. It needs someone else to kind of take care of it, to protect it, to feed it and to nurse it back to health. And then when it's ready, they need that someone to give it a little bit of a push, right, to do what its instincts and its body are, are allowing it to do and have been capable of doing. I look at it the same way. I have needed hundreds of people along the way over the last 22 to 20 for years to affirm these messages within me like seeds that they're planting so that this forest of like self-resolve could grow and then at some point I was finally able to hear that message myself and to begin to kind of step into it but but no I have absolutely needed every ounce of support I received from these external sources to get to the point that I'm at, I'm at today mm-hmm. I think that's really wonderful and important to acknowledge and important to identify those key pieces because you know, as you mentioned, these these two things sort of coexist, but one would not exist without the other. Absolutely. Continuing along this path a little bit in a different light, do you think that you could you could have or would have gotten to the same point you are today if your journey was somehow different? Like, do you wish that your journey was different? Hmm. Oh, that question. Uh, <laughs> it's, no, it's it's good. I love a good question. Um, it's loaded for me because it, it brings up things that people have said along the way. And it brings up questions I've had or discussions I've had with people in theological circles and settings. People will say things like, God won't give you more than you can bear. Or they'll quote a verse in Romans, maybe Romans 8.28, where it says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. You know, and they will tell you to be encouraged in whatever your journey's been because it's made you who you are. And I think that's really dangerous. I think when you talk to people that have gone through anything that's traumatic, people that have experienced the worst depths of pain that human existence has to offer, how dare we tell them that like they went through that because of God? How dare we tell them that they needed to go through that to become who they are today? And what if they don't like who they are today? Like it just, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And so, so I've had to do a lot of wrestling with the fact that a lot of the things that I went through as a child have shaped obviously who I am today. And the shaping has been negative and it's also been positive. For example, most of my life I have been more mature than a lot of other people my age. Most would consider that a a good thing. And by and large, I am generally cool with that. But I recognize that the reason I'm more mature, at least a large part of the reason I'm more mature is because I had to be at the age of six, seven, and eight, right? Mm -hmm. So would I trade my maturity to not have to go through abuse and neglect? Yes. No questions asked. Absolutely, I would. Would I, if I could get rid of the trauma that I have experienced in my life and see how my life would turn out, would I do it? Possibly. I can't say for sure because that, it's just hard to say. Like those sorts of wounds don't go away. And I think on the outside, it's easy to just look at the end result and 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 be pleased and say, well, surely you're happy with, with how things have turned out. But we forget that 
even even in my best moments, like when I am shining as bright as I can shine, impacting the world as, as greatly as I can impact the world, I'm still carrying the wounds uh, that I suffered as a child and that I've mm-hmm. suffered since then because the wounding doesn't stop when you're a child. And I still have to do this really hard work day in and day out of reprogramming myself, reconnecting with myself. And there are some really dark times and really dark moments. And it's hard to say those dark moments are worth the bright ones. Like, I don't know how you even quantify that. Yeah. So, so to answer the question, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The, the, the most honest thing I can say today is that I'm really thankful I've been able to get where I am today. I'm really thankful I can be who I am today. And while, while there have been some hiccups in my path, while I have hurt people along the way that I never wanted to hurt, um, while I have made mistakes and, and been embarrassed at how I've shown up at various moments in my life, as I sit here today, I, I'm by and large where I want to be, doing the work that I want to be doing, on the trajectory that I want to be on. And I, I think that's probably the most any of us can ask for, regardless of our journey at any given point in time. Yeah. I really appreciate you getting a bit more vulnerable and answer, answering that kind of unanswerable question. It's mm-hmm. honestly a little bit of a ridiculous question to ask, but I think people, as you mentioned, sort of bring that type of question up in various ways throughout your life and or out through throughout people's lives. And I think that's really important to identify that, you know, it's not okay that people tell you that, you know, you should be thankful for everything that has happened on your journey because it wouldn't have made you who you are. I personally do not believe that. And as long as I've known you, I mean, you've gone through a huge journey in your life with self-reflecting and understanding who you are. And even even with the different modes of operation, I would say that mm-hmm. um, the way that you operated when we were young, which we first knew each other in middle school mm-hmm. and then throughout high school, college and up till now, I would say that the modes of operation that you've chosen have been have differed. But who you are internally as a person, the things that you care about, your the things that drive you, your passions, that's always been you. And I think that would have always been you regardless of any external influences. Like you are just this beautiful bright light and you always have been. And it is to me so wrong and so frustrating that that has been dampened in so many ways and in so many moments throughout your life. And I don't think you needed those moments to be the person you are today. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's when you've changed as much as I've changed over the years. It's really encouraging to hear people that have known you as long as you've known me to like affirm what I believe, which is that there's like these core characteristics of who I am that mm-hmm. that are continuous, that you can draw a straight line from 32 year old Ben to nine year old Ben. And mm-hmm. those core things are still me. And so it just it's it's really affirming to have you say that. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling back, I guess, from some of the more serious notes of this conversation career-wise do you feel like you've landed or do you have more to explore i can't say that i've landed there's always going to be more to explore but i think i have some ground beneath my feet finally and that my exploration won't be so much like jumping to an entirely new island but mm-hmm. slowly like excavating this island and finding different outlets different waterways you know different forest floors just really understanding the topography of the ground that i'm standing on mm-hmm. 
one of the beautiful elements that Ben discusses in this interview is an appreciation for those individuals who believed in him before he believed in himself. And sometimes generating your own sense of motivation and own sense of momentum is sometimes it starts out by having those little pushes from those people who believe in you first. But another element he brings up is how you walk this line between knowing when you need support and need that extra encouragement and recognizing when you have all of those elements within yourself to support yourself on your own journey. And that is a, that is a difficult line to sort of walk down. No one wants to be a burden to somebody else. So Sarah, how, how do you know when to go at it alone? When do you know when you have everything that you need in order to succeed without like falling on your face in the process? I think a lot of people actually end up finding that strength within themselves at those times where unfortunately some people are not around. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really, those times are really tough because those are the times that you actually want to reach out for help. But those are the moments that prove to you that you can be there for yourself. And when you have those moments, I think it's important to recognize that you really wanted someone there in that moment. So at times when you can reach out for help, you should. And I think it's just humbling yourself a bit and taking the weight off of your shoulders sometimes and knowing that if you try to go it alone, you're going to have a much rougher road ahead. Yeah. What, what would you say to that? How, how do you think that people walk that line of finding that strength within themselves or asking for support from the people around them? My personality, I tend to want to do it myself. And for some reason, at least younger, a younger version of me thought that if I can generate this own support within myself and not have to ask for other people that somehow made me more of an adult, it made me more mature. When that's not necessarily the case, it's being able to recognize when you have that ability and when you're not. That's when your true Mm -hmm. maturity comes through. It's hard. It's hard to ask for help. It, 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 it really can be. But at the same time, you also don't want to be somebody who is constantly asking for help when you could clearly do it yourself. It, it's one thing to know that you have the support there to help you, which is which I, I think is a huge difference between our experiences and what Ben has gone through is that that safety net wasn't always there for him. And even though he didn't even have that safety net like we have had, he was able to still think, all right, I still have people in my life who love me and who care about me. I can Mm -hmm. reach out to them if I need to. But I also know that I've developed some tools of my own so that I can help myself. And that is incredibly admirable. But yeah, it it is a fine line to walk, but it, it is rewarding. Not that you can do it by yourself, but that you know the difference between when you can and when you can't. Exactly. And I think you bring up a really, a really good point about Ben, you know, not having that same sort of given support system that we had since he was adopted and he, 
he did come from an experience that was much different than ours with some very sad abuses in his in his childhood so i really don't want to try to compare our understanding of the feeling of support in that way at all but i think one thing that's that's really valuable to learn from ben's experience is that recognition that support can come from anyone and if people are willing to help you then you should let them just because someone isn't blood or someone isn't the closest person to you, or you don't even know someone at all. Don't take candy from strangers, kids. Like that's still a true thing. But <laughs> sometimes people, people just care and people want to, to help another person out. And those moments should be accepted. He also so wonderfully recognizes that other people can be trusted and giving your trust to others Meanwhile, holding that strength within yourself is really valuable and important to to move forward and to not look at the world with through a lens of animosity. When you sat down with Ben to have this interview, what were some of your thoughts in regards to people thinking that the bright resulting moments cancel out, that you need past trauma in order to be the person you are today? I didn't necessarily imply that Ben's upbringing helped him to get him to where he is today, but I did ask the question and he did illuminate that, that people, especially within religious communities often will emphasize or say that God won't give you more than, than you can handle or something like that. And yeah, you can't um, have a testimony. How absurd. Yeah, but just how absurd that is in certain people's circumstances and Ben's circumstances is one of those that it's like, you kind of just want to punch that person in the fucking face. Like, (laughs) get out of here. Tell me, like, I needed these experiences to be the person I am today. And talking with Ben, it was was just really illuminating to, to, to recognize the importance and danger of that type of conversation and that type of questioning or that type of emphasis about the traumas that exist in your life and the implication that they're necessary for you to be successful later because that is definitely not the case like as I talked about with Ben and as all of us involved here we've known each other for a very long time and regardless of the things that have happened to Ben that you know, continue to be tragedies and uplifting and just all of these things that come into your life like craters and and shape and form you in different ways. And regardless of what has come into Ben's life, he has always had this very true guiding light within himself. He's always been this bright, shining, wonderful person who's internal self and the way that he emotes and the way that he the way that he engages with people that has never changed regardless of what has happened in his life so i think that there's some major fallacy in allowing people to think that they need to go through certain things that are so unrelated to where they actually end up like if you're if you're trying to be a fireman for example 
Like you need to go through some physical challenges to make sure you can climb the side of a building or like walk up some stairs <laughs> in case of a fire. That makes sense. That's a trial that is directly related to the thing that you're supposed to be successful at. The things that Ben went through is not directly related to the things that he's supposed to be successful at, nor do I think that they influenced each other. So I like, I, I think it's just really important that we identify that the fact that people continuously make that assumption and it's not right. And it's definitely not something that Ben should have had to endure. Yeah, I agree. So Sarah, how will you wake up differently tomorrow after your interview with Ben? So I think I'm a person who generally is not willing to be sensitive to other people's expectations and needs in a particular moment, especially if we're in a professional situation. I tend not to consider particular influences in people's lives and sort of treat everyone with an equal playing field. And I think Ben has helped remind me that we all are not starting off from an equal playing field. We might not be dealing with the same situations that allow us to wake up in the morning with a smile on our face and having a little bit more patience with people and trying to understand that we all, we all have trials and we all have tribulations. I think just approaching things with a little bit more warmth is the biggest lesson I've learned from this conversation with Ben. What about you? How will you wake up differently tomorrow? I think the biggest takeaway for me from Ben's interview and what really resonated with me is when Ben was talking about that he needs to live this life Mm -hmm. in order to use his talents and to also find his own healing. I. I never really thought about finding purpose in your life in a way where you're giving of yourself, but you're also getting in return ways in which you can grow and ways in which your needs are being met. And so uh, the important, the way in which somebody finds purpose and meaning in their life is when they can give themselves and receive also in return a sense of gratitude, accomplishment, self-admiration for your ability to use your own talents in a way that helps people. And I, I am still searching for a way in which to live a life like that, which is why um, him saying that really struck a chord with me. So the way in which I will wake up differently is that I want to be more mindful of what my needs are for my life and figure out how to build a life where I am receiving just as much as I'm giving in life. That sounds sexual. (laughs) (laughs) It does sound sexual, but it was great. I think we can end this episode. Cut to music. Join us every other week for new episodes and insights. In the meantime, check out our blog or contribute to support our mission at liveinthemomentum.com. Special thanks to Eric Heibreder for our theme song and audio production. If you feel like you have a story to share, reach us at info at liveinthemomentum.com.